0: A lion lay asleep in the forest, his great head resting upon his paws. A timid little mouse came upon him unexpectedly, and in her fright and haste to get away, ran across the lion's nose. Roused from his nap, the lion laid his huge paw angrily on the tiny creature to kill her. Spare me, begged the poor mouse. Please let me go, and some day I will surely repay you. And the lion was much amused to think that a mouse could ever help him. But he was generous and he finally let the mouse go. Some days later, while stalking his prey in the forest, the lion was caught in the toils of a hunter's net. Unable to free himself, he filled the forest with his angry roaring. And the mouse knew the voice and quickly found the lion struggling in the net. Running to one of the great ropes that bound him, the mouse gnawed it until it parted, and soon the lion was free. You laughed when I said I would repay you, said the mouse. Now you see that even a mouse can help a lion. A kindness is never wasted. Many of you know that story. It's one of Aesop's fables. You're familiar with Aesop's fables. Those are stories that we were told as little children to teach us some sort of a moral lesson on how to live and how to be a better person. Uh, And you probably have your own favorite one. The one that I just read is mine. I can remember my mom reading that to me as I grew up. And these stories remind us that there are ways to live that make us better people. Sadly, our passage today, 1 Samuel 17, is a familiar one. It's a passage on David and Goliath, and for many of us, we have been taught time and time again that Goliath and David, this story, this battle, is nothing more than a moralistic tale on how to be a better person, how to overcome the issues that we find ourselves in in life. A few years ago, Malcolm Gladwell published a book titled David and Goliath. Uh, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And with all apologies to Mr. Gladwell, uh, the story of David and Goliath is not intended just to simply offer lessons on how to defeat heavily favored opponents. Nor is this supposed to be a lesson that is used in corporate boardrooms on how to overcome the giant of competition or of debt. Or maybe some of us have even used it as the the giants in our life of weight and addiction. It's much, much more than that. This story is much, much deeper and richer than simply how to improve your life. And so my hope for us today is that as we go into this story and as we leave our time together in the Word, we will see together that David and Goliath, this story, this passage in 1 Samuel 17 actually is about God's man achieving God's victory for God's people. So turn there in your Bibles today. We're not going to read all of it because it's many, many verses long. And we're going to work our way through this text, pulling out the main verses as we go through. But let's start by looking at verses 1 through 4 just as an overview. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 4, we see a repeating issue for Israel. The Philistine nation is once again battling Israel. You've heard of the Philistines before, they are a constant threat for Israel, they're a constant problem for them because they're their neighbors. And here on the screen here, I'm going to show you a little map here just so you can get a lay of the land of where they are. The Philistines were the neighbors to Israel to the west and they were a nation that worshipped the pagan god Dagon. They were right next to Israel and they were always attempting to encroach upon the land, the territory of Israel in increasing measure. And so as chapter 17 begins, the Philistines have once again begun to move east into Israel. And there's a detail in 1 Samuel 17 verse 1 that says that they are actually encamped between Soka and Azekah. Now this area is actually the land of Judah. So it's actually in Israel. And so no longer are the Philistines just threatening to encroach. They actually have. And they've set up camp in Israel. And so it's quite a dangerous time for the nation of Israel. And the battle that we are reading about is this battle between the Philistine army and the Israel army. It's set in the Valley of Allah. Now this valley is an interesting area because it's a valley with two ridges on each side. And this is what we see in the battle as it occurs. We see on one ridge the the Philistine army. And we see on the other ridge the Israeli army. And in the middle on the plain is where the battle was to ensue. And the problem is this. If one army were to initiate the attack and leave their post in the ridge and enter into the valley, they would be vulnerable to attack by the other army. And so there's a standstill. And so as we look at our text today, I want to address the standstill. And I want to address the main characters in this story. Our main characters as we look at this are the enemy, the army, the champion. And then lastly, the audience. Let's begin by looking at the enemy. Verses 4 through 10. Goliath, that's his name, needs no introduction, does he? We're very familiar with who Goliath was. In verse 4, we are told that this Goliath comes out and his name alone means a lot to us. When we have issues in our life, when we have big problems in our life, we call them Goliath-sized issues. We call them Goliath-sized problems. And in this passage, it's a really interesting engagement in describing Goliath. Really nowhere else in the Old Testament does the author use such detail to describe an individual. And so as we look at this passage here in the verses 4 through 10, you're going to see a few details that are really important for us to pay attention to. Because the intent is this, as you hear these details, they should cause us to be overwhelmed at the enemy that is in front of Israel. So let's look at Goliath. Who was he? Verse 4, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Well, he's a champion. Does that mean he's an Olympic champion? Has he done something? Has he won the field day of the Philistines? Probably not. Maybe he did. We don't know. But this word champion is a unique word in that it's the only time this word is ever used in the whole Bible. And the word champion actually means man between. And so we can literally read this as the man between Goliath. Goliath was the man in between the Philistine army and the Israeli army in this battle. He was the representative of the Philistines and for good reason. He was trained. He was naturally endowed for combat. And he was the one that they wanted to represent them before the other army. And so he was their champion. More than that, he was huge. Look at the Bible and what it says about his height. His height was six cubits in a span. Now that's ancient measurements and so it's come under some scrutiny of sorts. But he was nine feet, nine inches tall. Just imagine that. Nine feet, nine inches tall. No matter where you were that day, you saw this man. There was no issue in seeing him. And he was armed. Notice the detail of the armor that he had. Verse 5. He had a helmet of bronze. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds of armor upon this man. So he wasn't just tall. He was tall and strong and able to move with this weight upon him. And he had offensive weapons. He had a javelin, which is probably a sword that is shaped like a moon slung between his shoulders, and he had a spear with a head that weighed 15 to 20 pounds. An impressive figure. And he was loud. Now, at this point, you should probably think of the WWF or the WWE, those large wrestlers, that stood out there and they just verbally assaulted their enemy before they attacked them. That's kind of the picture here. We see Goliath coming out loudly on a daily repeat for 40 days, verbally defying the nation of Israel. He was skilled at bringing about verbal assault. Look at the questions that he asks Israel in verse 8 and 9. And as a shield-bearer went before him, he stood and he shouted to the the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out for battle? Am I not a Philistine and aren't you servants of Saul? Day after day, those two questions given to the nation of Israel, Why are you even here? Don't you see who I am? I know who you are. Day after day. And I began, I think that the, that began to wear a bit on the nation of Israel. Don't you think? For 40 days, this man coming out and assaulting you verbally with words and questions about why you're there. And I imagine that the Israelites, as they stood on their ridge and watched this happen for 40 days, began to ask themselves that same question. Why are we here? We're not, I'm not going to do anything about this guy. Are you? No, no. I mean, Saul has us here because we have to be here, and that's not good enough reason to fight this guy. Why are we here? And so in those questions, though, Goliath, the enemy, exposed the weakness of Israel. And what is the weakness? He says to the nation of Israel that you should choose a man to come out and fight me. Choose someone that you think can battle me and come battle me. And whoever wins will win. And whoever loses will be the slaves of the other army. Let's just end this stalemate. Send someone. Winner take all. Choose your man. Now for Israel, this should be a rather easy answer, right? They did choose their man. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20, when they pled for a king before God, they actually said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, 20, Give us a king who will go out before us and fight our battles. They had their man. His name was Saul, and he was the closest thing they had in Israel to Goliath. He was head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. He was armed, and he was the king. But for Israel in this moment, the weakness was that they had no king. And so at the beginning of this passage, I I hope that as we begin, you see the enormity of the issues at hand. You see the enormity of the enemy, that Goliath is not just some mythical figure. He's an actual man, a man who came out and assaulted and defied the nation of Israel and assaulted and defied their king. But it's more than that. We see at the beginning of this passage that there is a very real and continual spiritual opposition to God and his people. And that's meant for us to feel the weight of that. As you read this, imagine if you are Israel, you are God's army, you are God's people, and you're feeling the weight of opposition. Maybe some of you in this room are feeling the weight of opposition for being God's people. Alistair Begg says this of Goliath, that Goliath was the embodiment of the evil one's attempt to destroy God's plan from all eternity. So Goliath is in the lineage of anyone who is opposed to God. He is in the lineage of Pharaoh. He's in the lineage of Herod later on. All these who have opposed God and his plan, Goliath is the embodiment of. He's an enemy that we cannot, that Israel cannot overthrow. So how does Israel respond? Verse 11, we only need one verse to see their response. Verse 11, Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. In the face of this giant soldier, the nation of Israel decides how they're going to respond. Saul decides how they're going to respond. And how is their response Dismayed and greatly afraid. It's an interesting language, isn't it? Dismayed, greatly afraid. It should spark in our minds previous conversations that God has had with his people using those words. And it also gives us the answer on why Israel was in such a state. Why were they dismayed and greatly afraid? A few thoughts on this. I think it's because they were fixated on what they saw and what they heard. I mean, how could they not be, right? We can't blame them. They're in the presence of a giant. And they're fixated upon what he's saying. They're fixated upon his presence. Goliath was oppressive. His words defined their reality every single day. No longer did they remember the days past. When they were the army of the living God. No longer do they remember Joshua 1 9, when God said to Joshua, as they were about to take the land, God said to him, Do not be dismayed, do not be afraid, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. No longer do they remember what God even just said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, not to pay attention to the outward appearance. His height, for the Lord looks at the heart. Appearances are no match for your position as God's children. In fact, God and His presence was not their reality at all in this moment. If you look at the entirety of this text, it isn't until David appears on the scene that any mention of God is made. Israel is operating outside of God's reality, outside of God's presence. And where there is no recognition of the sovereign hand and reign of God, then our physical eyes and feelings will determine our reality. Just say that again. Where there is no recognition of the sovereign hand and reign of God, our physical eyes and feeling will determine our reality. And so they were dismayed and they were afraid because they were fixated on what they saw and they heard. And they were afraid and dismayed because their king was weak. Saul's strength was gone and he was left to his own power and there was none there. And in 1 Samuel sixteen fourteen, we see why that happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, the word of God says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul no longer had the spirit upon him. He was left slack-jawed and glazed over. And we know leadership principles that the men below will reflect the spirit of their leader. And so there was no leader at this point. And Saul Saul proves to us an important point that a person who is outside the care and protection of the sovereign God is fully exposed to the worries and fears and dismay that the world is filled with. And so I hope you see the progression. I hope you feel the weight a bit. That as the story is unfolding, we see that there's an enemy of God's people, a giant of sorts, an enemy that is overwhelming, that is powerful, that is fear-inducing, that is seemingly invincible to the people of God, and the people of God have no response to this enemy. And so the question is forming for Israel at this point, and maybe for us today even, Who will step forward and be the champion of Israel? Who will be the man between? Is there anyone in the ranks who will be the champion? Well, let's talk about the next character, the champion. Verse 12 tells us who this champion is with two words. 1 Samuel 17 verse 12 begins with two words that tell us who the champion is. Now, David. Now, what do we know about David? Not too much. We know a little bit beforehand, 1 Samuel 16. We know a little bit more detail given to us. But in 1 Samuel 17, 12, we have a whole section here of who David is. And David was in contrast to the king. That's why it says now David. And David we know to be the youngest of eight. He was too young to fight in the army, so he was home with his father. Taking care of the sheep, so he was a shepherd. And the only reason that he is going to appear on the scene here is because his dad asked him to take some food to the soldiers. Basically, David was DoorDash. (laughs) Taking sandwiches to the soldiers, some cheeses and breads. But there's one thing we know, because we have the benefit of looking at the entirety of Scripture, that David was not just some sandwich deliverer. He was not just a shepherd... First Samuel 16, looking at verses 12 and 13, tells us all we need to know of who this man is. It says, Now he was ruddy and had a beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the middle of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The spirit removed from Saul, the spirit upon David. David was no longer just the youngest of eight. He had the spirit of God upon him. He was God's man. And as God's man, he saw things completely differently than Saul did. And so let's look at how David sees the battle. Verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17 gives us the first clue. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David sees the enemy differently. Whereas the army and Saul saw the imposing nature of Goliath, David simply sees him as an uncircumcised Philistine and, in fact, says that he will die. <laughs> says that this foe will not stand. David sees the enemy differently. And the next thing that defines David is the way he approaches the king. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this enemy, this Philistine. Who is this little man that comes in the presence of the king and then tells the king not to worry. David says to King Saul what King Saul should be saying to David. David says to the people of Israel what King Saul should be saying to the people of Israel. David's words to the king, don't be afraid were outstanding words, outrageous words. Who is David to say this? Well, David is God's man. And so the moment that the Israelites were in was the very essence of fear, terror. But God's man enters in and says, do not be afraid. God's man is able to speak peace into fearful and broken hearts. And David then says, Saul, I will fight for you. When we look through human eyes, this makes no sense whatsoever. And Saul even said it in verse 33, you're not able to go do this. You can't fight this soldier. You're not a soldier, and he's Goliath. And he's been a soldier since he was your age. You're young, you're small, you're inexperienced, and he's Goliath. But there's a reality here that we need to take and remember. For a broken and fearful people, God sends his champion, His representative. And his representative is not limited to the things that we see, the reality that we think determines the day. God's champion fights the fight that we cannot fight. And David goes on to give reasons why he can do this, why he can say with utmost confidence that you shouldn't be afraid and I will fight for you. And he Thinks about the days when he was a shepherd, verses 34 through 37. You're familiar with this story. David said to to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him. And delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's been a deliverer already. He's attacked lions and bears. Don't let that escape you, by the way. He's attacked and grabbed and delivered sheep from the mouths of lions and bears. He's understood the reality that behind these things isn't his bravery, isn't his strength. It is God's strength through him. And so in that reality, he understands that this battle is already won because it is God who will act and will protect him. And so there is tremendous confidence for David. In essence, David is asking the question, doesn't a living God make all the difference? David saw everything differently because he knew that Yahweh delivers his people, which by the way, as David gives this talk, to Saul, in verse 37, he uses the Hebrew word Yahweh. And that's intentional. Because that word Yahweh carries with it God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And so David is saying to Saul, remember Yahweh, the covenant God is faithful and has brought you here. And he will see us through this moment. And so David boldly says that he can take on this giant. In verses 41 through 50, we see that that's exactly what he does. As David enters the arena of battle in verses 41, we see that Goliath is a little upset that Israel would send out this type of a soldier as their champion, this little individual as their champion. And so he mocks him. So what am I, a dog that you would send this man out? with sticks, no weapons? Well, the champion of God doesn't look like the champion of man. He isn't dressed like that champion. He doesn't exude the dominance that the world would expect a champion to exude. But that's the point, isn't it? David doesn't wear man's armor. He doesn't use man's weaponry. He doesn't even really engage man's tactics because God doesn't deliver his people in a way that Would be expected. And as David approaches the Philistine in verse 45, I want us to pay attention to the sermon that David gives. He addresses the Philistine. He addresses Goliath. No one else would do this, but David does, and he says to Goliath to clarify exactly what is happening right now. He says, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come, with, come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David hits the nail on the head of what is actually happening here. He contrasts the powers that are present. He says, you come with man's power, but that's nothing for the real power that is in front of you. I come in the power of the living God because serving a living God makes all the difference. And when God's man comes in God's power to do God's work, then the earth shakes and the powers of the world flee and fall. And notice that David says that he comes in. Not in his name, not in Israel's name, but in the name of the living God. Understand this is a benchmark in the scriptures. Because this is the first time that someone has come forward in the Bible and says that he is a representative of the living God. God's man about to do God's work. And David clarifies the purpose of this battle. It is not just about defending the nation of Israel. It's not just about owning the Valley of Allah. It's not even about destroying the Philistine army. The real purpose of this battle, verses 46 through 47, is clarified for us today. And the real purpose of the battle around us today is this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The whole purpose of this battle isn't to show the power of David, isn't to show the power of the Israelite army. The whole purpose of this battle was boiled down to the reality that when God uses his man and sends his man as a representative for his people, there will most assuredly be victory and there will be such astounding victory that the world will see that there is a living God. God's victory by God's man for God's glory. And it's certain, as we see here, after this statement is made by David in verse 47, the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand, we see the climax of this story. Verse 48 and 49. The fall of Goliath only takes two verses. For 40 days, Goliath has come out, but in one moment he is felled. And that too is meant to show the contrast of powers. When the power of God comes up against the enemy of God, it is a quick victory. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face. Goliath fell on his face just as his god Dagon did in 1 Samuel chapter 5. The gods of this age, the opposing forces to God, always fall on their face before the power of God. God's victory by God's man. And this is the point, isn't it? The glory of God shown to the world in overcoming the enemy. And that leaves us with us today. The audience. You've heard the story before, I'm sure you have. One of the great dangers of this story is that you've heard it so many times that you kind of move past it without thinking and dwelling upon the truths of it. And so I challenge us as the audience to understand the points of application that this story, David and Goliath, bring to us today. And it's this there's a very real enemy of God and he uses very real weaponry against the people of God. The greatest weapon that Satan has against people of God is our sin. Reminding you of your sin, reminding you of the enormity of your sin, reminding you then of the consequence of your sin, which is death. And so many people live in a fear of sin and death on a repeated level And sin and death is an enemy of God that repeatedly mocks the victory and the promises of God. And so many of us live a life that would be reflective of what was Saul's reality. Dismayed and afraid. And we know that we can't fight our sin. We can't fight the enemy of death. It's an enemy too great for us. And so we're left asking the same question. If I can't fight against my sin and if I can't defeat death, is there a champion for us? And the answer you know is absolutely. His name is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is our Messiah. He is our deliverer. He is our representative. He is our champion. He is the man between. And if the story of David and Goliath, you found yourself thinking as you work through You found yourself thinking about Jesus as we spoke about God's man, David? Well, good. That's the intent. 1 Samuel 17 isn't only about David's great faith. It's not only about David overcoming the giant of Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 is meant to point very clearly to the fact that God will ultimately send his man, Jesus, to undo the enemy that we cannot do. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul remarks on this. And I pray that as we read this right now, you'll be moved by what is being said here. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal, legal demands... This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, our champion. And Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, tells us how Jesus did this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Even as we read that, we see that our champion, Jesus Christ, destroyed the enemy by the enemy's own weapon, death. Jesus Christ destroyed death by defeating death just as David severed Goliath's head using Goliath's own sword, ultimately. And the act of David in that regard was emblematic of Christ using Satan's weapons against Satan. And I wonder, is he your champion? At the end of this story, in First Samuel at the end there, verse 50 and on, we see that the victory of David became the victory of the people. That as the champion won, the people celebrated. As the champion won, the people had courage. And so as we read about our champion defeating the great enemy of sin and death, may we have the courage to pronounce the victory of Jesus Christ for us And this is good news, that we are not a people who are dismayed and greatly afraid. We are a people who have victory because our champion has won. I think of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And on closing, we'll read this. When the birth of Christ was announced, listen to what the angel said to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not. Don't be afraid and dismayed. For behold, I bring you good good news of great joy. I give you victory that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Father, I pray that as we reflect upon the truths of this passage, may we celebrate the great work of our champion, Jesus Christ and that you have defeated our sin you have defeated the power of death and so we now are a people who can live victoriously in your strength in your power in your freedom and so Holy Spirit I would ask that even in this place today that you would work in such a way that you would draw those in this room who are still attempting to battle the enemy of sin and death in their own power draw them Lord even this day to make the confession that you are the champion. And so, Lord, may you do a work of redemption in our hearts today. May this be a place of celebration as we celebrate your great victory. And we thank you for what you have done and thank you for the victory we live in and the hope that we now have. In your great and wonderful name we pray, amen.